It's time for episode 46 of the Clockwise podcast from your pals at IDG, recorded July 23rd, 2014. Clockwise, four guests, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast where you'll have the time of your life. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and I'm joined, as always, across the country by my co-host, Jason Snow. Hi, Dan. How's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you doing? Doing great. All right. Well, glad we got that out of the way. No small talk. (laughs) I'm being brief because I have to edit the podcast, and when we talk too long and it goes over 30 minutes, I have to take it all out. So why not just... I'm just going to not say anything at all in this episode, and it'll be fine. To the point. Short to the point. Well, without any further ado, uh, let me introduce the first of this week's two guests, Macworld Senior Editor Dan Frakes, because one Dan is not enough for Clockwise. Thank you, Dan. Welcome. One one Dan is not enough. One day we'll have the all Dan clockwise, and I won't have to be here. Um, To my left is not a Dan. It is Tech Hive editor Philip Michaels. Hi, Phil. Hi. I've had the time of my life. I've never felt like this before. (laughs) I swear it's the truth. I owe it all to you. You owe it all all to us. It's true. The the musical stylings of Philip Michaels. I, I feel like I'm at a summer resort now. Dan Warren, explain to the people what the heck we're doing no one puts dan morin in a corner (laughs) uh so for those of you who are tuning in for the first time or just don't remember our last episode the goal of clockwise is to be very brief we've each brought a technology topic that we're going to discuss and we're going to give just five minutes for each topic and i'll go first and then the uh we'll continue clockwise So I wanted to talk a little bit about a story that came out earlier this week where a security researcher was presenting a talk at a hacker conference and did a lengthy presentation about what he claimed were backdoors in iOS. Um, Now, he did disclaim this by saying that he didn't think necessarily this was something that had been put there particularly to snoop on people um, or that it had really necessarily a nefarious purpose, more that there was information being that could be disclosed here that went sort of beyond the scope of what these tools were, and Apple had never really discussed these tools. Since then, Apple's come out and sort of talked about them, but he's fired back saying, well, they still have way too much information. Um, I, I kind of wanted to get you guys, your guys' opinion. Is this something you feel like you should be concerned about? I mean, I know we're all very heightened in our anxiety about information security these days. Um, but is this something you kind of shrug your shoulders and go, it's not a big deal? Or is this something where you think, we need answers. A congressional committee must be convened right now. Dan Frakes, take it away. So a big company denies having any connections with the NSA. Um, I don't, honestly, if it was anybody but Apple, I might be a little more suspicious. But um, I don't know. I, I think you know our, our Rich Mogul contributed an article for us a while back saying that, look, people – Apple's new thing is they're going to be the privacy company. And I think he had a grain of truth there where there's so much going on right now where people are worried that their their information, their personal information is being hacked into or spied on or whatever, that there's a competitive advantage if a company says, look, we're never going to do that. Don't worry about it. You're perfectly safe with us. And I think Apple kind of wants to be that company. So, I mean... The cynic could say, oh, of course they're going to say that. But I kind of believe them for that reason. I, I um, yeah, mentioning that Rich Mogul piece, which we should put in the show notes, that it is, it, it's unlikely, I think, that, that this is something Apple has done intentionally. But what we found out in the past and some of the disclosures um, that we've seen about 
uh, the NSA is that they also take advantage of bugs. They find bugs and they and they take advantage of them rather than reporting them. And, um, you know, it's entirely possible that some of that is going on there. I would like to think that Apple is – I mean, the problem with the, with these backdoors is if it's a backdoor for the NSA, it's a backdoor for anyone. And that's the scarier thing. And, you know, that's what security, re- security researchers are great at is exposing these things so that the companies can fix them. And I, I think that's good. iOS generally is about as locked down as any operating system, any popular operating system out there. And so I think that's good. But there are going to be everybody who's using devices should have some concern about this sort of thing because that's just the nature of it. There, there, um, you know, you can do some things to protect yourself, but like run a VPN, but you know, ultimately, um, you're, you're in a, you're in a battle with, with, uh, the spies. And if the spies really want to spy on you, they probably can. And that's unfortunate, but I think that's where we are. Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to usually believe the worst about companies, but uh, in this particular case, I don't think a backdoor, if it exists, is something that Apple deliberately did. I think if it if it's like this, it's probably more just a, an air of uh, omission rather than one of commission. Um, but uh, such as such as life in this modern connected age of us, the trade off for being a connected person is that you uh, that you open yourself up to these kind of uh, uh, security breaches, and and sometimes we do it quite willingly. Uh, Verizon this week. Uh, is is offering this program uh, where it gives you rewards points and discounts on things, and all all you have to do is turn over all your location data to them. And uh, we, we scoff at that, but there there are going to be people that go, oh, sure, why not? And um, you carry around a device with all your information on it. There's going to be someone out there trying to, to get that information off. Yeah, I, I think you guys come down pretty much where I am on this, which is to say, I, I think that there's probably some stuff Apple could do better here in terms of, you know, being more upfront about disclosing that these services exist and trying to make sure that they really are limited to just the things that they really need for diagnostic purposes, which are the intents of these tools. Um, and at the same time, I, I don't think, you know, the old the old tech adage goes, never, never attribute to maliciousness what you can attribute to incompetence. <laughs> and incompetence might be a strong word here, but more of just an, an oversight aspect, I think. Think of it. So I, I'm not too worried about it. I'm glad that they, Apple did decide to sort of address it head on. Um, not to say there's not more that they could say or do to improve that situation. But all things considered, I think it's, it's probably not something most people should worry about. And that's my topic. So we'll switch over to Dan Frakes. What have you brought for us today? So I uh, wanted to talk about 3D TV. Um, and the reason is, you know, it's been out for I don't know how many years now, and I've always kind of mocked it mercilessly. Um, you know, who wants a 3D TV in their house? That's crazy. So um, last week we got a new TV, and guess what? It has 3D TV on it. It was one of those things where we bought it because we liked the TV and it just so happened to have it. But um, we tried it, and it actually works really cool, really, really well. I mean, it's pretty cool. We've, we've got a couple of Blu-rays that have 3D on them. So we put on the the, the, the glasses, and it looks kind of just like it does in the theater. And, and, and I, you know, it's not something we're going to use often, but it was kind of cool to have it there. And it just got me thinking that everyone kind of pans this technology. And yet at the same time, it seems like more and more movies are available in 3D. 3D is like the big thing now. You can go watch it in regular or in 3D and pay $4 more. But um, Hollywood seems to be going that way, and yet at home no one really wants to buy a 3D TV. And I'm just curious what you guys think of it, if you've ever actually tried it, and why you think Hollywood's going one way and consumers are going the other. I have never tried it. 
uh, and I ha- other than at like CES at demos, and uh, yet I still have opinions, which is the reason Hollywood <laughs> is going this way is not because of consumer demand in most cases, but because, as you mentioned, they can charge more per ticket for it. And there's a feeling like the the grand spectacle and a bigger ticket price is a way for growth in the movie industry. Um, I think a lot of people go to see a 3D movie just because that's the movie and it's in the big theater. And so they go and they see it and they watch it in 3D. I, I wonder what the numbers are in terms of a, a preference. If you could literally, sure. as a consumer, choose one or the other. I can tell you, uh, my family, we we target the 2D screenings. And there's actually some disappointment when we end up the only time we can go see a movie. It's in the 3D screening because, you know what, most 3D movies are bad because most of them aren't even shot in 3D. They're shot in in 2D and then they're uh, they're they're uh, modified to make them look like they're in 3D. Um, Star Trek Into Darkness I saw in 2D and 3D and the 3D version was kind of disappointing and fake because they didn't shoot it in 3D. So, you know, there are exceptions. Avatar was spectacular in 3D. Uh, Hugo, uh, Martin Scorsese turns out knows a little bit about uh, filmmaking and that was spectacular in 3D. There are examples of good 3D out there, but in general I think people... Um, you know, people aren't demanding 3D. It's being pushed by Hollywood. And then so when you get it into your home, people are not that excited about going through the extra steps of making sure they've got a 3D Blu-ray player and that they buy the 3D Blu-ray and they've got the 3D TV and then they have to put on the glasses. And do we have enough glasses for everybody in the family? And it's just I mean, people don't like 3D that much. To, to go through that trouble, I, I would question whether they like it even enough to choose it if they had the had both options. So, a pox on 3D, and yeah, no, I, I've never seen a 3D in an actual house. So, yet I still have opinions. Phil, what do you think? I went to see um, uh, the 3D uh, version of Jurassic Park last year, and it enraged me uh, <laughs> actually that I that I, I I paid up to see a movie that. Uh, which I like. I like Jurassic Park. Yeah. I, I think it's a, a great movie. Um, but the 3D gimmickry, it took me right out of the, the, the experience uh, of immersing myself in a motion picture. <laughs> Those dinosaurs aren't real. Well, it's, it's, they, they pull back and the dinosaur legs are like popping out. And then it gets to the point where, oh, then now they disappear because they've, they've, they're no longer in the shot. And you're, you're all, wait a minute. <laughs> Uh, earlier I was seeing a dinosaur in front of me and now it's gone. No, it's 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 um like Jason says it's a it's a gimmick that they're trying to do to sell more um more movie tickets in the case of movie theaters, uh more expensive movie tickets. And uh, TV makers are trying to do it to sell you more expensive TVs when the TV that you have right now assuming that you have an HD TV is perfectly fine. Uh it's the same thing going on right now with 4K TV, which is just um there there's no reason for it. I do not sit in front of my TV uh, thinking, boy, this is an inadequate experience. I wish someone would squeeze in more pixels. It, it, it's it, the 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 advances in TV are going to be TV on demand and 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 that sort of thing. It's not going to be picture improvements. There's only so far you can go given the size of of most houses these days. So, boo on 3D. Shame <laughs> on you, Dan Frakes, for bringing this poison into your house. <laughs> Two Ds should be enough for anybody. That's what I say. How many Ds do we really need? Um, I don't have any interest in a 3D TV. Uh, I don't even really like going to see 3D movies for the most part, for many of the reasons Jason alluded to. Um, and I even saw Avatar in 2D, and maybe that lessened it for me because I didn't think it was a very good movie. Um, and 
I don't know. I mean, you know, it's funny. Phil mentioned the, uh, you know, as long as you have an HDTV, things should be great. My dad still has a CRT sitting in the living room, and I bug him every time I go over there about that. And he's like, eh, it's fine. It gets the job done. It's like, I can't even imagine, you know, my parents, for example, sitting at home and watching 3D movies with 3D glasses or whatever. It seems ludicrous. Um, I think it's, I agree. I think it's a fad. In the same way that 3D has had, you know, these every every so, so many decades, it sort of pops up and becomes the in thing again. And then it goes away when people realize it doesn't work that well. And maybe someday they'll come up with a 3D technology that's just so much, so much clearly better than what we have right now that everybody will want it. I don't think we're there yet. Um, so I, I'm my TV has kind of been on the fritz lately. It's been up and down, um, but I've definitely not been in a hurry to replace it, especially with a 3D TV that is really, uh, you know, it's it's a bullet point, but it's not one that most people are really using. It's the it's the Google Glass of television features. So I'm not a fan myself. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you guys. I mean, 3D, the technology is getting better in terms of mainstream movies. The 3D movies released today are better than the ones like five years ago where it felt like it was really pushed. But I, I agree with Jason that most movies don't have to be in 3D. And in fact, when we're looking at a movie time, if it's like 7.15 in 3D and 8.15 non, we're just like, well, what time works better? You know, um, so uh, I, and I think Phil got it right that, that 4K is kind of like the new 3D and that it's just it's something that is there to sell more TVs. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think the big thing will be for those of us who have them, whether we wanted them or not, is when they start streaming 3D. So you don't have to worry about having a Blu-ray player that plays 3D and finding the right content. But uh, yeah, it, for us, it's still going to be a gimmick that like, oh, wait, 3D, let's try it tonight. But it won't be something we use a lot. All right. That is... Uh uh, yeah, I, I think you're. I think you you got it dead on. It's maybe people will use it if every, it's everywhere, and then it doesn't matter, and there's no work involved. But the glasses, <laughs> right. putting on the glasses, I think is just too much work. I think it's going to have to be glassesless before anybody just was like, oh, it's 3D, fine. I don't know. Let me uh, move on to my topic, which is uh, Yosemite. As we record this, OS ten Yosemite, the new version of OS ten, is uh, going to be arriving tomorrow. Um, Thursday the 24th as a public beta for as many as a million people who registered with Apple. Um, this was announced this morning uh, on on Macworld.com and many other places. I wrote that article on Macworld. And, uh, you know, so here we go. Um, it's going to be interesting. A large group of people uh, running beta software, beta operating systems. And I was interested in your perspective about Yosemite, um, if you're interested in running the beta or if you'd rather wait for the final and if you have any any thoughts or advice for Mac users out there about how they should approach this uh, this new Yosemite public beta. Phil, what do you think? <laughs> Let's lead off with Phil. Yeah, um, well, you're, you're next in line. So you can just pass yeah. and say, I'm still no, running uh, Snow Leopard and I, we'll move uh, on. Up until about a month ago, I was still running Snow Leopard. No, I, I just I, I just got on Mavericks. My my philosophy has always been, and, and perhaps this is uh, a strange philosophy for a, for a editor of a tech thing to be, no betas. 
especially not betas on operating systems that you need to do uh, your daily life. I don't want to turn my 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 daily productivity into someone's lab experiment. I'm I'm not interested at all in the uh, in the Yosemite public beta. Wake me when it becomes a finished shipping product. Better yet, wake me in about six months after it becomes a finished shipping product when someone else has found all the bugs and the problems and the glitches and has documented what they need to do to work around them. And then I'll think about upgrading. But but Phil, that's the whole point of making it a beta accessible to so many people is finding all those bugs before it gets to the public. Yeah, well, some other sucker can do that work. <laughs> I, I got things a, to a do. A million of there's a million of them. This is what we've learned. Yeah, there's a million. There, there are so many suckers in this world willing to. I have the beta. Ooh, well, I'm gonna go through this beta, and good, good luck to you. You let me know <laughs> well, how that works out. I, I probably don't feel as strenuously about this as Phil does. Uh, I'm I'm always interested in playing around with uh, with new software. Uh, I agree that it's not something you should definitely commit your, say, if you only have one Mac, probably don't run Yosemite on it, or if you do, at least run it off like a separate drive. Um, but I was hearkening back, and, and I wrote about this a little bit in a piece on, on Macworld, uh, about uh, the public beta of OS X back in the year 2000, uh, and how... You know, comparatively, Apple was at a very different place in in their you know in their company history at that point. So it's very interesting to see Yosemite get opened up to uh, you know a million people potentially. It's it's very much unlike anything that they've really done before. Um, and I think that it's it's a really interesting move. I'm hopeful that it does sort of signal that they really know they need to focus on quality and stability, and that's a big part, I, I would hope, of why they're doing this is to get so many more eyeballs on it that all those bugs do get ironed out. It's it's never going to be everything, but you know I think we would all be pretty happy if the uh, release version of Yosemite was at least as stable as the Mavericks version that preceded that. Um, so I think I'm, I'm really optimistic about it. Uh, it is something that's probably not for everyone and people should go into it with their eyes open, knowing the caveats and making sure that their you know, data is backed up and that they're going to be computing safely. Um, but I, I'm kind of bullish on the prospect. So I'm, I'm in, eager to see how it develops from here. Yeah. I, I, I mean, as an early adopter tech geek in a, in a Mac world editor, I'm of course, running it, you know, and, and, and trying it out, of course, on a separate Mac, on a separate drive. Um, the bigger thing I think is for the normal people, not like us, that as Dan mentioned, you know, do do you really want to be beta testing an operating system? Um, and if you do, do you, uh, have the time to be a good beta tester? Because the whole point of this is finding bugs and reporting them to Apple. So if you're just going to download it, just so you can, you know, play around for half an hour Maybe you want to pass and let somebody take the spot who's willing to do that. Uh, and then also, as Dan mentioned, um, you know, you want to do it on a separate Mac or on a separate hard drive. You want to make sure you've got tons of backups. This is this is a danger of a, of a beta operating system is Apple's making it easy for anyone to try it. And not everyone should try it. Um, but the bigger picture here to me is, as as Dan mentioned, this is the first time they've done this since the original OS 10 beta back in 2000. And I got to wonder if all the really big problems with Mavericks and like Mavericks mail and things like that, if any of that had had something to do with this, because clearly Apple's internal testing didn't catch the fact that mail just didn't work. And so I got to hope that, that, that by m- making this a public beta, that maybe things will work a little better out of the box when the final version ships. 
Yeah, I so I've been using it for a while, but not on my main system. And uh, so what I'd say is I feel like Yosemite is good and it is um, interesting and it has a lot of interesting features. But, um, you know, I, I have not installed it. I have one Mac, a MacBook Air that I use for all my work. If I had like a desktop at home or at work that I also used, I might install it on there, but keep the other one around so that I always had one that was working on the existing uh, version of Mavericks, but I don't. And so I'm really hesitant to do it uh, just because stuff breaks. And I am a little worried about users installing the beta and then getting mad at their uh, app developers for not having versions that work well with the beta yet for the apps that they use. Because, you know, this could be really bad for developers because people will get angry. Um, but at the same time, I'm excited about it because um, I have high hopes that it will improve um, it'll improve the operating system by having so many people using the feedback app that is going to be built into the public beta. I think that's really great. And, uh, you know, and in the end, I think it's going to be a good release, but, um, it'll be really interesting to see how, how, uh, how this goes in terms of weird bugs being found and people being angry and not understanding that it's a beta. And personally, I, you know, like I said, I, at some point I will use it enough on a test system to feel okay um, putting it on my main system. But boy, I'm I'm reluctant to do that right now. So we'll see. It's exciting. I think it's great that Apple's opening up like this. I think that's great. All right. That is that topic. Phil, it's your turn. Yes. Um, yesterday, the American Customer Satisfaction Index, yesterday, of course, being Tuesday this week, um, the American Customer Satisfaction Index, which is uh, a way to index the satisfaction of American customers, <laughs> uh, they released their annual report on uh, e-businesses, specifically on social media. Uh, we saw the headlines. Pinterest people are generally satisfied with it. The bottom of the rankings are your your LinkedIn's and your Facebooks. Um, MySpace is even uh, lower on the the rankings, but that's just because they stopped uh, following MySpace after a time. Poor MySpace. What what I found interesting though is the um, overall uh, uh, industry rating is uh, 71 on a 100-point scale. And just to put that in context, that's um, two points above airlines, just a few points above subscription TV, which means cable TV, and uh, a comfortable amount of distance from Internet service providers, but but sort of in that, that neighborhood. Those are not popular businesses. And I was wondering, if we use social media so much, why, why, why don't we like it? I wonder if some of that has to do with the um, the trade-offs, right? I mean, I think what's interesting is, um, you know, the vast majority of social media is free. And as, you know, opposed to most of those industries you just mentioned where people pay for things and get some service in return. Now, when you pay for something and you get a really crappy service in return, understandably, you're unhappy. When you don't pay anything for something and you're just kind of dissatisfied with it, I mean, I think people enjoy griping about things without taking that sort of value proposition into account. That said, you also have to keep in mind the old, you know, the old adage about, you know, if you're not paying any money, then you're the product, right? And so when it comes to social media, especially in places like Facebook, you know, we are there to feed the machine that is Facebook uh, rather than it necessarily providing a service for us. That service is in some ways ancillary. Um, so I think that there's a lot of dissatisfaction over it because of the ways that those, you know, that those businesses are judged to be intrusive um, in the ways that they're trying to make money. Uh, I think, you know, when it comes right down to people like 
you know, I post things on Twitter. I talk with my friends. I post pictures. You know, I don't think most people are probably dissatisfied with the fact. It's not like people are like, you know, 140 characters really isn't enough. And that's why I'm really angry about Twitter and not satisfied. I need more characters. Um, It has more to do, I think, probably with the policies that these companies put in place and the ways that they're trying to leverage their user bases to turn it into capital. Um, And, you know, in some ways that might be better if people paid for it. Not that I think that the social media would actually survive very long if they started charging everybody, but uh, there might be a different perception of it, a different perception of the value of it. So I don't think, you know, people are, it's, it's just one of those instances of people loving to hate things, I think, to a certain extent. It's like, yeah, um, if, it, if social media didn't exist, where would I gripe about social media all the time? So that's my thought. Dan, what about you? Yeah, I think you hit a lot of it around the head in that uh, over the last few years, there's been a, a, a growing disenchantment with social media because of those things that there, people, where people are seeing ads in their Twitter feeds and ads on their Facebook pages. And there's this growing perception that Twitter and, and Facebook and Pinterest are using you as, a, as, a, as an advertisement delivery thing. And so it feels less like it used to where social media was, hey, let's get on and talk with our friends and more like a business that's taking advantage of you while you take advantage of it. And it's just leading to people being, they're still using the things, but they're not as happy about it, I guess. I mean, maybe that's what the, what the survey is trying to get across, but, but I think it's that simple. I think I think it's a real um, – I don't think people actually have a problem with the companies that do social network. Well, you know, Facebook a little bit. But I think I think in a lot of cases it is – it's the people on the social networking that are the problem, right? It's just, you know, other human beings with all of their – with all of that, their issues, that's that what decreases one user my user. social network. I mean, is I, really good. I love I love Twitter, but you know the people on it. Some of them are not so great. Um, and Facebook, I could say the same, except I don't really love Facebook either. So it's a combination. Imagine that um, you know. Do you hate Comcast? Do you hate your cable company because it's bad and it has bad customer service and it overcharges you and tries very hard to make you not know what you're paying for, or do you hate it because of the TV shows that it brings you that are bad? I think you got to place the blame in the right place. And with social media, a lot of my feelings about it are about the people on it and the way people use it, and not about the companies themselves. That said, Facebook is bad. So there's my expert analysis. Does that satisfy you, Phil? It does. Uh, I think many of the, the, the points that I was going to make have already been hit upon here. One, I don't think people like being uh, used as data points in, in someone's uh, ad Mad sales science campaign. experiment. <laughs> yeah, in their science experiment or in their, 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 their attempt to, uh, to make, uh, make a buck. Uh, number two, hell is other people. So, yep. and uh, social networks are not nothing if 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 they are other people. So, uh, that said, I enjoy Twitter, perhaps a little bit too much. <laughs> well, you know, both Jason and Phil hit on it as well that that it's not just the companies that are now sort of abusing the users, but it's other users like celebrities and brands. Oh well, yeah, other companies, com- right? Companies yeah. that they now see Twitter and Facebook as as another way to you know, pimp themselves. And that I think rubs a lot of people the wrong way. I hear about that all the time. If this were the Macworld Pundit showdown, my misanthropy and my answer would have gotten me points from Phil, I think. Would have matched the golden envelope question. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, that's uh, the last of our four tech topics. It's time for our special bonus question. And today I'm taking a page from the lovely group of British comedians, Monty Python, to ask you what is your favorite color. 
Dan Frakes, what is your favorite color? Blue. No, yellow. Full marks to Dan I'm Frakes. glad I got to go first. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Jason, how about you? It's blue. <laughs> That's a good color. Phil, how about you? Uh, green. Oh, man. Phil totally took my answer. Because I once went an entire week wearing nothing but green shirts like a little emerald Steve Jobs. <laughs> i'm really sorry i missed that green is also my favorite color not least because it's the color of money Mm. um but that's yeah there you go thanks i see i'm filing these down all on data points because now i will know how to manipulate your feelings using your favorite color do i get any credit for my monty python reference there come on (laughs) i didn't i forgot the scream on my answer yeah (laughs) there i'm deducting a mark from dan frakes and giving that mark to jason so there you go it all evens out Well, we've been carefully watching the clock, and that is all the time that we have for today. Dan Frakes, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And Philip Michaels, thank you so much for being back on Clockwise. I'm always happy to be here. And hey, Dan, I think we hit this one right on the head. I don't think I'm going to have to cut out our really uh, clever banter at the beginning. Thank God. Yeah. So until next time on Clockwise, we remind you, as always, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Help Clockwise stay free to download by completing a short, anonymous survey that will take no more than five minutes. Please go to www.podsurvey.com slash clockwise. That's www.podsurvey.com slash clockwise to take our survey and get a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. 